0: So I just want to dive into our passage this morning from Matthew 22, uh, our gospel reading today. Uh, this is a, this comes from uh, a moment in Jesus's life where he is at the end of he is approaching the end of his earthly ministry, and so I want to talk about the the testing of the Pharisees uh, that they posed to Jesus. And then I want to talk about the two, or the two commandments, the double commandment that Jesus gives to them as an answer to their testing. So we're going to talk about those three different parts. The testing, the first commandment, and then the second commandment. So the testing of these leaders. So like I said, we find ourselves at the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. And here he is teaching in the temple and he's drawing these massive crowds to himself. Jesus is no like... Um, inconsequential preacher these days. He's drawing massive crowds. People from all over Israel are coming to hear him. And now he's at the Temple Mount. And everyone wants to come and hear what this country preacher is saying. You know, he's rumored to have, have healed the sick. He's rumored to have healed the blind. He's rumored to have cast out demons and even sometimes raise the dead or raise the dead to new life. And the religious leaders, they can't stand Jesus. He's on their turf, he's in their temple, and it feels like he's flipping the rule book completely upside down. In fact, he did that with their tables. And so now what they're trying to do is they're trying to trap him. They're trying to seize him. They're trying to find something to, to pin him down on that he can have them, or the, that they can have him turned over to the religious leaders. And our story today begins in Matthew 22 by saying that the Pharisees gathered together to test Jesus. Now that phrase they gathered together, that's that's not a throwaway phrase, that's actually a very intentional phrase. And to the Jews who had the, the Psalms absolutely memorized, they would have remembered immediately the line from Psalm chapter two, verse two, which says that the rulers of the earth are gathered together against God's anointed, that is, against the Messiah. And so what Matthew is doing here in this text is he's explaining the same thing. He's saying that these are the rulers of the earth. These are the religious leaders of the day who are gathering together, sort of around, praise, as, uh, around their prey, in order to go against the Messiah, to oppose him. And so what they do is they lob these three questions at Jesus. Now, the first two weren't a part of today's readings. Uh, last week, we heard one of them. But the first question was, Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes? In other words, what they're trying to do is they're trying to ask Jesus, what is the role of God's people, what's the the relationship of God's people to the state? Should we be paying taxes? And then the second question is, Jesus, if a man remarries another woman after his first wife has died, when he gets to heaven, who's who's he actually going to be married to? Now, on the surface, we might think that that's purely a question about marriage, but what they're doing there, what the religious leaders are doing in this moment, is they're actually sucking Jesus into a controversy of that day. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had different opinions about what the afterlife was going to look like. And so they're not truly asking Jesus about marriage. They're kind of, well, they're essentially asking him, Jesus, do you really believe in this whole after life after death sort of situation? They're trying to suck him into that theological um, uh, argument of that day. So in today's passage, we hear a third question. And on the surface, this seems like a fairly straightforward and simple question. No doubt we've heard sermons about this before. We we ourselves know the the Ten Commandments. We we know Jesus' teaching. We know the primacy of of the command to love your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. But the, the question is this. What is the most important commandment? Like I was saying, we... We don't really understand exactly what's so controversial about that. Well, in that day, the rabbis, the the teachers, that is, of Jesus' day, they taught that all of God's commandments were of equal status. And to break even the smallest of commandments was just the same thing as breaking even one of the greatest. The Jews, or the the rabbis, or one, one saying from the day was, let a light commandment be as dear to you as a heavy commandment. And surely there's some truth to that. We can, we can understand that, that yes, any amount of sin is sin. But what they would believe is breaking the law like honor your father and mother was no different than touching pigskin or, or something like that. And so they here they ask Jesus, what is the most important commandment? And so they're essentially trying to trap him. They're trying to get Jesus to elevate one aspect of the law over and against the other. Because whatever Jesus chooses, they're going to then point to the other thing and say, does that mean you don't like this commandment then? So they're trying to entangle him into some meticulous theological debate of the day. Now, in today's cancel culture, we do this thing all of the time, don't we? In fact, we are experts at this. We love to pull sound bites out of context, and we like to use these to condemn and to cancel people. And and sometimes we don't even ask questions because we want to know the answer. We ask questions because we think we already know the answer ourselves. We just want to make sure that you know the right answer. So we're not doing this with a posture of humility. And even sometimes, as it turns out, we ask the same exact questions that the Pharisees asked. We're not unlike them in a lot of ways. Jesus, when your word says, honor those in authority, you don't really mean it, do you? Like, here in America, like, you don't, you don't mean that. Jesus, do you really think that belief in you is the only way to everlasting life? Jesus, what about all that stuff in the law that makes me a little squirmy? Like, what about those calls to, to holy sexuality that I read about in the Bible? You can't expect that to carry any weight these days, do you, Jesus? You see, we ask the same kinds of questions all the time. We just turn the words a little bit. We just spin them a little bit. We ourselves try to trap Jesus ourselves, don't we? So how does Jesus respond to the test? How does he respond to the test? Well, he gives them an answer. The first, or he he answers them with the first commandment. He says, Jesus, or Jesus answers them by saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. You shall love the Lord your God. This is the first commandment that's given by God. Now every faithful Jew began and ended their day by reciting this law. It's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love him with all of your heart, soul, and mind. This is the commandment that sets the tone for our entire life. In fact, the entire story of the scripture is is the, the story of God's people wrestling with this commandment, sometimes obeying it well, sometimes failing at it miserably. Everything is basically commentary on that one commandment. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us that Jesus stands up and actually chooses this. And he believes that for the Pharisees, and for us for that, and us for that matter, need to still be reminded of the primacy of what it means to love God with all that we have. So there's three things I want to say about this first commandment. First, you are called to love the Lord your God. Now, it is interesting that the primary call or the primary posture that we have towards God is love. Love. You know, Jesus could have said other things. He could have quoted other laws that said, fear the Lord your God or trust the Lord your God. And those are biblical postures. Those are good postures that we're supposed to have towards God. But fear and respect and trust, those flow out of our first call to love God. It's an affectionate, romantic, we're supposed to love God. This is first and foremost. We were created for love. Second, you were called to love the Lord your God. Now, Lord is a specific title to a, for a specific God. In other words, Jesus isn't saying that we should love some ambiguous idea of God, some sort of force or some sort of happy feeling about what we think God perhaps might possibly be. He's also not pointing to any of the other Roman gods or for any other god of any other world religion, for that matter. No, he is pointing to the specific God of the Jewish people. He's saying you should love the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, The God who formed humanity out of the dust of the earth. The God who called Abraham out of a a pagan land and said, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to all the households of the nations. And then this is the God who, when his beloved people had fallen into slavery, he shook heaven and earth in order to rescue and redeem them. This is the God who led those people through the desert to a land of milk and honey and promise and goodness. And when those people kept forgetting who he is, this is a God who out of his love disciplined them and sent them into a foreign land. This is the Lord. This is Yahweh. This is the great I am, the creator and the redeemer of heaven and earth. Thirdly, you are called to love the Lord, your God. He is your God, beloved people. One scholar says this, that one word, your, has the whole gospel embedded in it. You see, we don't love God without reason. We don't do it simply because we're commanded, although that could be the case. No, we love God because, in the words of the Apostle John, we love because he first loved us. He's the initiator of the love. Without him, we wouldn't even be capable of love. Our God, or he is our God because he claimed us. We are his, and he is ours. He is the Lord your God, the commandment says. So while we were still sinning, rolling around in our own filth, God came down and rescued us, he redeemed us, he gave us a home, he seats us at his table and nourishes us with his own presence. He clothes us with his own robes. He is our God. You see, the love that Jesus commands from us is an answering love. It is a responding love. The love that we then, through the power of the Holy Spirit, give back to God, it's a love that's enamored by him. We're enchanted and mystified by all the beauty and the pleasure that he puts on display for us. He's constantly wooing and pursuing us, even when we're running from him. Love the Lord, your God. Now, Jesus could have stopped with this commandment. They did only ask for one, by the way. He could have stopped with this, but he gives them a second commandment as well. In fact, the way that it's phrased is, it's imperative for us to understand that the second commandment is linked to the first. Jesus says the second is like it. That is, it's, it's on the same level as it. It's important with it. These two go together. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'd like to say just three things about this one. So, again, do you see how connected these two are? Jesus teaches that love of God and love of neighbor are inextricably connected. I love what Henry Nouwen says about this. He says, it is our love of God that leads us to care for our neighbor. Not as an activity which distracts us from God or competes with our attention to God, but is an expression of our love for God, who revealed himself to us as the God of all people. In God, I love this. In God, we find our neighbors and discover our responsibility to them. And as the Apostle John says, again, going to him, first John chapter 4. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, then he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, is not capable, cannot love God, and whom he has not seen. So you see, friends, the love of neighbor flows out of our love of God. Secondly, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And friends, biblical love is not always easy. You know, this this day and age, we are of no shortage for calls to love our neighbor. In fact, it seems like there's just demands and demands almost with, with violence on opinions of how we're supposed to love our neighbor. There's no shortage of this. I don't think it's, it's controversial to say love your neighbor, but I do think that our concept of what love actually is, is different. I think in our society, when people say love somebody, that usually means to unequivocally accept Every jot and tittle and final detail or activity or whatever that somebody is doing, we are called to fully and 100% accept all of that. When honestly, that's not biblical love. Biblical love is a mutual, partnered pursuit of God and his holiness. And this isn't always easy. Jesus himself gives us instructions on what this can look like in Matthew 18, when sometimes when we see a family member who's struggling with sin. We're encouraged out of an act of love to confront that person. Now, my point here isn't to say that loving others turns us into sin police, and we're supposed to run around and start you know, condemning people left and right. That's not what I'm saying. You know, my point, though, is that biblical love is hard. We are called to love people through their struggles and through our own. Biblical love is hard. And sometimes, though, part of that, what that means is that we have frank conversations with our sinning brothers Uh, or having frank conversations with sinning brothers is love done well. You see, friends, we're called to embrace others. We're called to show hospitality to others. We're called to look for opportunities of acts of service for others. We're called to seek justice on behalf of those who don't have a voice, and on and on and on. All of this is true. The love, or our love, is a partnered fight against sin. So thirdly, Loving others is a call to a holy imagination. Mm. It's a call to a holy imagination. I love what the scriptures or what, what Jesus says here we're called to love your neighbor, you are called to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, it's easy for us to think about ways to care for ourselves, isn't it? We're experts at that. You know, I love just opening up, uh, uh, you know, Uh, your favorite (laughs) shopping website or whatever and thinking about all the ways you can just care for yourself by, you know, a new couch or a new iPhone or whatever. Like, we're really good at at caring for ourselves. We're really good at, at seeing how we can excel our own agenda. We're really good at feeding ourselves, at protecting ourselves. But what we see in this commandment is that we're supposed to be able to have a holy imagination where we can envision ourselves in the place of another and ask questions like, is this person being loved well? Is this person being protected well? How can I love this individual who I know and love? Well, the Bible's call here is a call to holy imagination, to put yourself in their place and imagine what love looks like from there. Love your God and love your neighbor. So when I was in seminary, uh, I was a part of this Thursday morning prayer group And uh, me and some of the other Anglican seminarians would come together for morning prayer on Thursdays. And every now and then we would have the pleasure of Father Victor, who is a priest in the area, he would come and he would join us on these prayer meetings. And one of the reasons why I absolutely loved it when Father Victor came is he always had a crazy story to tell of God powerfully moving uh, in his life or somebody he knows. So one time uh, Victor shared this story of how he was invited to preach at a church and get this, right before he was he was coming up to to sit in the platform or to to stand in the podium he felt like he heard the voice of god speak to him saying somebody here in the room has stolen a large amount of money from the church and i want you to tell the church this like are you kidding me <laughs> what and so victor does this he stands up and he says um Somebody in the room has stolen a large amount of money from the church, and uh, God wanted me to let you know that he sees you, and he knows that. And when he tells this story, he says, nobody listened to any other word that I had to say that morning. <laughs> like, Who's going to listen to a sermon after hearing that, right? Uh, and I love it. Well, after the service, Victor then goes to a coffee shop, sits down, is just like trying to make sense of what just happened. And this man comes in and sits down across from him and says, who told you? who told you to get up and say that? I need to know. And Victor's like, I, I swear it was the Holy Spirit. And he says, well, I am that man. I've, I've stolen from the church, and I've been riddled with guilt, and I don't know what to do right now. And so Victor was able to help administer that man. Another story that Victor shared was, there was one uh, season of life that he was in where he was feeling especially uh, just depressed and down, you know, like we all do sometimes. And he said he was going through a walk, or he was going through the woods on a walk, And he just, at one moment, just stopped and closed his eyes, and he said, Lord, I would love it if you could just show me a sign that you love me. Show me a sign that that you see me, that you care for me. And when he opened his eyes, there was a deer standing right in front of him. Cool. And so Victor pulls out a granola bar from his hand, and, and immediately the deer starts eating straight from his hand, which... I don't know, dear, who do that. Maybe you do. But I just thought that was absolutely remarkable. And, like, what a wonderful testimony for Victor that the Lord loves him. Well, at these Thursday morning prayer meetings, uh, we'd go around, we'd share prayer requests. And this one time, we came to Victor, and and he was just really tender and, and sweet to us. And he said, friends, I would just love it if you would pray that I could love God more. That I could just love God more. Here is this holy man, this man with these incredible stories, which... You know, if I had stories like that happen to me all the time, like, man, I feel like I'd be on the mountain all the time. But yet, here he is, Victor, sharing that kind of prayer request. And I remember hearing that being like, are you kidding me? Like, man, like this guy, Victor, he's praying to love the Lord his God with more of his heart? Like, how remarkable is that? So what about you? Like, I, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know how you feel about your affections towards the Lord or your neighbor's. But you might be sitting here today thinking, man, I just, I wish I could love God more. You know, and you're wondering, like, how do I do that? How do I seek that? How do I love the Lord more? Well, friends, the good news is we're gonna spend all eternity answering that question. Because as we learn more about the eternal goodness and beauty and holiness of our Lord, it's just gonna stir up more worship and love within our own hearts. But in the meantime, let me give you just a very simple easy, almost childlike answer, if you're wanting to love the Lord more, finding it hard, just talk to him about it. Just talk to the Lord your God about it. Tell him, say, "I increase my love of you, Lord Jesus. Teach me more about you that I might be more enchanted by your beauty and your goodness. Because friends, I promise you, God loves answering that kind of prayer. He loves it. He gets excited about that. He wants to reveal himself more to you. He wants you to love him more because it's going to make you all the more happy. That's what we were created to do as image bearers of him, as, 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 as the pinnacle of his creation. He wants us to be true worshipers of him and take such delight in him. Now, I don't know if that's always going to result in a deer eating out of your hands. I think that's why we should also ask for an imagination to, to be able to hear his spirit talking to us and to, to sense his presence with us but he will answer it. He will indeed answer it. So please pray with me. Oh, Father in heaven, we live in tumultuous times. We live in a society that that declares various definitions of love. Um, But Lord, we turn to you. We turn to you as the author and perfecter of life, as love embodied, as love in the flesh. Lord, forgive us when we uh, are weak, Uh, When we don't um, love others as we should, Lord, give us your grace. Give us your abundant grace and fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might walk in a way that is worthy of the name Christian. We ask this, Jesus, in your name and for your glory. Amen.